0: 20 through 29, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. So Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on your on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ab- Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your, your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Abasha, the son of Ahijah because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord has spoken, saying, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominable in the falling idols, according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, see how Ahab has humbled himself before me Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house.
1: Around 1931, the Coca-Cola Company was offered the opportunity to purchase a fledgling soft drink company. They declined because they had assumed up to that point that every other soft drink that existed was eventually going to go away because they were the big dog in the soft drink industry. Little did they know that on that fateful day in 1931 they had been offered the opportunity to purchase the only soft drink to ever gain supremacy over their own product because on that day they were offered the rights to the Pepsi Cola company but they didn't take the opportunity. On New Year's Day in 1962 Decca Records, a recording label in Great Britain, auditioned a young upstart band, but decided not to sign them. They said that guitar groups are on the way out, so they chose not to sign this guitar group. What Decca Records didn't realize at that time is that they missed the audition, and you failed to answer. This morning, as we continue our study of Elijah's life, we come to the events of 1 Kings chapter 21. And if you journey through 1 Kings 21, what you discover is that Elijah is kind of a minor character in the story. He's not the centerpiece of the story. There are multiple characters playing out the things in 1 Kings chapter 21. But one common theme abounds in this chapter, and that is opportunity. Because each and every individual that we encounter in 1 Kings chapter 21 is presented with an Opportunity. Some of them will seize that opportunity, but some of them will miss that opportunity. And this morning, as we continue our study of Elijah's life, I want us to notice these opportunities, because here's the thing. Scripture instructs us not to miss the opportunities that come our way. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, where Paul says this, Be very careful then... How you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Scripture implies here that there are opportunities that are going to come your way and they're going to come my way. God is going to give us opportunities to accomplish things for his kingdom. Opportunities for us to grow and develop as his children. Opportunities for our faith to become stronger. For his will to be done. Are you seizing such opportunities? You know, it may be difficult at times for us to notice when those opportunities do arise. So we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 21. We're going to see the opportunities present themselves to these characters in hopes that it will help us be more attentive to the opportunities that abound for us so that we will never be guilty of missing God's opportunity. So walk through the story with me, beginning in verse 1. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard. That I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, Lord, forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Right off the bat, we have a situation where there is a guy named Naboth that owns a piece of land next to Ahab's castle. Ahab looks out and sees that land, and he goes, man, I really want that land. I'm going to go to Naboth and see if I can get that land. And if you really pay attention, Ahab's offer is very fair. He says, hey, I really want your land, Naboth. If you'll give me this land, then I'll give you another piece of land in exchange for it, a fair trade. Or I'll give you its worth in money. I'll pay you its value. It's not an unfair offer. Ahab's not trying to just take the land at this moment. He's not trying to do something illegal or unethical at the moment, but it's still a problematic offer because despite its fairness, it was faithless. Let me explain what I mean. Ahab's offer is not considering the will of God. That's why it's faithless. See, according to the law of Moses, Naboth was forbidden by God from selling that land to Ahab. What you need to know is that way back in in Mosaic law, when the Israelites took occupation of the land of Canaan, they understood that God was the owner of that land who was then giving the land to them to be stewards of. And they were to, to manage that land for his purposes and for his glory. And God implemented a unique economic system to divvy out that land to the citizens of Israel. He intentionally gave every single family a piece of the land as an inheritance and then gave instructions for that land to remain in that family forever. Now, there were some nuances, some stipulations that allowed one to sell their piece of land to a relative in a time of financial distress and things like that. But, but God instituted a policy, a policy known as the year of Jubilee, that dictated that every 50 years, the land was returned to the original family's owner. Every 50 years, no questions asked, no transactions necessary, every 50 years, the land turned to the family that owned it initially. It was God's way of ensuring that everyone had an inheritance. It was God's way of ensuring that no one was destitute forever. It was God's way of ensuring that these people always had a home to return to. And so the Israelites were told in Luke five and verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. There was a policy forbidding the selling of land permanently. And then in Numbers chapter 36 and verse 7, we can read these instructions. The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his father's. Here's the point. Naboth, when he said in 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 3, that the Lord forbid him to give up his inheritance to Naboth, I mean to uh, Ahab. He wasn't just being faithful to his family, he was being faithful to his father in heaven. And here's the point. Naboth is presented with the opportunity to obey the Lord. Naboth is in a situation where he could profit greatly. He could do something that puts him in an outstanding position with the king. He is in a situation with an offer on the table that can make him lucrative. But instead of taking the buyout, instead of taking the, uh, uh, the, the fame and the fortune... Naboth chooses obedience. See, Naboth didn't miss this opportunity. Naboth seized this opportunity. And we need to take a lesson from Naboth because there are going to be occasions in our life when the opportunity of whether or not we're going to obey the Lord will present itself. We're going to face these moments in life where we're going to have to choose obedience self. And it's an opportunity you don't want to miss. Because Jesus repeatedly said, and the New Testament authors echoed him, that the way we show our love to the Lord is by obeying him, by keeping his commandments. Don't miss the opportunity to show the Lord you love him through obedience. Don't miss the opportunity to obey. As the story continues, we find out that Ahab doesn't really appreciate Naboth's rejection of his offer. offer. Look at verse 4 of 1 Kings 21. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. Notice, Ahab makes no mention of the uh, Lord's policy here. He doesn't reference the Lord, that the Lord's law is the one that Naboth is abiding by. And the verse concludes with this, and Ahab lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat. Do you know what Ahab is doing here? He's acting like a spoiled little brat. I mean, the, the text doesn't say it that way, but that's exactly He's doing. He is a child who didn't get his way, so he's going home, he's going into his bedroom, he's shutting the door, and he's pouting on his bed. He's acting like a child because he didn't get his way. Now think about it. Ahab hasn't been wronged. Ahab hasn't been cheated. Ahab hasn't lost anything. He's just... ahab is presented here with an opportunity to handle disappointment maturely ahab has the opportunity to behave in a mature manner here to to be adult in the situation if you will ahab has the opportunity to handle things in a different way than he may have handled them years before But he chose immaturity over maturity. Ahab is obviously disappointed. Ahab is obviously dejected. This is a difficult situation because he really wanted that property since it was next to his castle. And he did, at the very least, try to go about it through the right channels instead of acting like royalty and just taking what he wants. But he didn't behave maturely. We need to remember that God cares about how we respond to disappointment, how we respond to dejection, how we respond to difficult situations. He instructs us to do all things without complaining, to put away all forms of bitterness, to put away all forms of malice. There is an expectation from the Lord that we are going to conduct conduct ourselves in a mature way when we face things that disappoint us. Ahab has the opportunity to be the mature one here. Not saying Naboth wasn't. But Ahab missed that opportunity. Now think about the difficult situations you face in your own life. Think about those moments when you're disappointed. When things don't go the way you want them to. When things don't work out. How do you respond? How do you handle it? Do you deal with it like a spoiled child Or do you handle it in the maturity of faith, understanding that God may have something better for you down the road? We're going to be given the opportunity to handle our negative emotions in a way that's consistent with Christian ideals. Don't miss that opportunity. Because the way you conduct yourself in moments like this has a lot to say to the world around you about whether or not they want to serve the God you serve. Don't miss the opportunity to behave maturely. As the story continues, we encounter another character. This time, it's Jezebel. Now, you have to remember, Jezebel has been notoriously wicked during the ministry of Elijah. She is an unabashed worshiper of Baal. She was the primary patron of Baal's prophets. She was the executioner of God's prophets, and she's the one who originated the death threat on Elijah's life after Mount Carmel. But up to this point, She hasn't even scratched the surface on the depths of her wickedness. Now, you have to remember, Jezebel is the daughter of a king, the king of the Sidonians. So she's used to living in a world where she gets what she wants. She doesn't understand this Israelite worldview where deity takes precedence over royalty. And so in her mind, Ahab is the king, and that means he can do whatever he wants regardless of what God says. So look at what she does, picking up verse 5 of 1 Kings chapter 21. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite. And he said, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Now think about this. The God of Israel has demonstrated his superiority over Jezebel's God by stopping the rain for three years, by, for, by, by torching an altar on Mount Carmel, and by eliminating every prophet that was under her financial support. At this point in the story, you would think that at the very least Jezebel would fear God. Maybe she doesn't serve him, maybe she doesn't worship him, but she acknowledges him. But that's not the case. She orchestrates the murder of an innocent man all because she can't stand God's side to win. See, when Naboth rejected Ahab's offer, obedience to God won. When Naboth rejected Ahab's offer, it was a reminder that there are 7,000 people, as the Lord told Elijah, who had not bowed to Baal, but who still worshiped the Lord God Almighty. It was a reminder when Naboth rejected Ahab's offer. It was a reminder to Jezebel that God's side was still winning. And she couldn't stand that. So she decides to use Naboth's faith against him. She orchestrates a plan where according to the rules of Mosaic law, two witnesses, which was the bare minimum requirement, were going to bear false witness against Naboth and blasphemed God, had cursed God, and done the same to the king. And both of those sins were punishable by death. That's her plan. And here's the thing, this is an opportunity For Jezebel to change. This is an opportunity in the aftermath of drought, in the aftermath of Mount Carmel, in the aftermath of the loss of all her prophets, in the aftermath of God's continued supremacy. This is the opportunity for her to start handling things differently. For her to learn that she... Excuse me, for her to show that she's learned from past events, not To challenge the one true God. But Jezebel missed the opportunity to learn from her mistakes. We all make mistakes, we all do things that we shouldn't do. But aren't we supposed to learn? Isn't there an expectation that we're going to grow and mature and do better than we did before? Throughout Scripture, there is this constant theme, particularly in the New Testament, that maturation is a component of being a disciple. And what that means is that I may have made a mistake this time, but next time I'm not going to make the same mistake. Think about Peter. Denying Jesus three times in the garden. After his resurrection, Jesus gives him three opportunities on the shore to confess his love for him. He's given Peter the opportunity to show that he's learned from his past mistakes and that from then on he's going to do you're going to be presented with opportunities to learn from your mistakes. You're going to be presented with opportunities to demonstrate that you've learned from your mistakes. Don't miss those opportunities, because they're all part of your spiritual maturation. They all contribute to your growth as a disciple. They all contribute to your betterment as a follower of God. Don't miss the opportunity to learn from your mistakes. Jezebel certainly missed that opportunity, but she's not the only one. Pick up the reading with me in verse 11. After receiving the orders from Jezebel, here's what happens. The men of his city, Naboth's city, the elders and the leaders who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast, And they set Naboth at the head of the people, and the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took Naboth outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. Now, we know that Jezebel is a worshiper of Baal and not Yahweh. And we know that she's a, a Canaanite descendant, not an Israelite. That means she didn't grow up in the Israelite faith. She didn't grow up learning the law. She didn't grow up worshiping the God of Israel. But these townspeople did. This community that she sent orders to did. These Community leaders that orchestrate the demise of Naboth. They did grow up worshiping God. They did grow up hearing Mosaic law. They likely were aware of Exodus chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, which says, You shall not spread a false report, you shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. They knew these things. They knew better. They knew the community around Naboth knew that God cares about protecting the innocent. They knew that God is displeased when those that are in power take advantage of those who are not? They knew that God expected them, as He repeatedly communicated throughout the New, the, the uh, Old Testament to do justice. But this community, this community of faith, these are Israelites. These are fellow descendants of Abraham, fellow participants in the nation of Israel. These. Individual people who are part of Naboth's community of faith, they miss an opportunity to stand up for what they knew was right. They missed the opportunity to defend the powerless. We are given opportunities to do the same. We are given the opportunity to stand up for those who can't defend themselves. Maybe it's in the form of the unborn. Maybe it's in the form of the impoverished. it's in the form of children, or the elderly, or those with handicaps, or those from a particular socioeconomic group, those from a particular ethnicity. those from a particular cultural setting. And just as God expected his people in Israel to stand up for the powerless, to love mercy and to do justice as he repeatedly proclaims, that same expectation extends to you and I. Paul declared in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10 that love does no wrong to a neighbor. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul said, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. We can't lose sight of the fact that there is an expectation in Scripture that you and I, as Christians, as disciples, as believers, are going to contribute to the overall welfare of mankind and the defense of those who cannot defend themselves. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to defend the powerless. As the story continues, we get to 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 15 and 16, and we return to Ahab. Now, I want you to think about this. Jezebel, in effect, approaches Ahab and says, I'm going to take care of this for you. And Ahab did nothing. He didn't try to stop her. He didn't try to find out what her plans were. He didn't intervene and say, no, honey, I don't want you to get involved. Or, I think we need to just let this one go. Ahab had no intervention system whatsoever. He knew the kind of person Jezebel was. He knew the kinds of plans that she devised. He knew the depths of her immorality and uh, wickedness, and yet he did nothing to stop her. Now look at how he responds in the aftermath of her plot, verse 15 and 16. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, she said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give to you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So when Jezebel informed Ahab that Naboth was dead, Ahab didn't ask any questions. Ahab didn't express any concern about how this came to be. Ahab didn't express any disapproval or confront his wife about what happened between that moment, that moment when she said, I'm going to take care of this, in that moment when she announced that Naboth was no longer alive. He's in blissful ignorance. And here's what I want you to realize with Ahab. Ahab missed the opportunity to lead his family. Ahab missed the opportunity to offer correction within the confines of his home. His failure to seize this important opportunity to be a leader in his family had dire consequences because a little later you're going to learn Elijah's going to inform Ahab that his royal dynasty's coming to an end. And his wife, the only time I know of that the demise of a queen is specifically called out by a prophet. that She's going to die unceremoniously. His kids aren't going to be on the throne long. His descendants are going to be wiped out. Maybe Ahab could have prevented his family from suffering some of these consequences if he had taken the lead in his family but he missed that opportunity let's not forget that when you journey into scripture particularly as husbands and fathers we've been given the assignment of spiritual leadership in the home and yet yet even today you'll still hear preachers including myself from time to time complain that we as men aren't fulfilling our part of the bargain ever since Adam failed to intervene when Eve started talking about that forbidden fruit. Has man been failing at his responsibility to be the spiritual leader in the home? And if you don't believe me that God expects the man to be the spiritual leader, just go look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you'll get that picture very clearly. On top of that, I don't want to leave the ladies out. Let's think as parents. You journey over to Ephesians chapter 6 and some of these household instructions that we receive, and there's this expectation that as parents, we're going to lead our children. We're going to provide spiritual direction for them. We're even going to be willing to take the necessary disciplinary actions in order to get them to be on the straight and narrow There's an expectation that as a Christian, you're going to be a Christian husband, a Christian wife, a Christian father, a Christian mother. And what that is, an expectation of leadership. Ahab missed that opportunity. Don't miss it in your own family. Because it can have dire consequences. Ahab missed the opportunity to lead his family. Let's continue in the text, and I I know we're already after 11, but let's be honest, if you looked at your watch, we started 10 minutes late. So it ain't my fault. It will be in a moment, but not right now. I want you to notice that Elijah had the opportunity to overcome his fear. Look at verses 17 and 18, 1 Kings 21. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. Elijah is just now entering the story. I told you, he's just one of many characters. He's he's not the centerpiece of the story. But God comes to done in the past and said, Elijah, it's time for you to go talk to Ahab again. And the last time we read about Elijah, he was hiding in a cave because his life had been threatened by Ahab's wife, Jezebel. She didn't get to Elijah, but she did get to Naboth. She has proven that she's capable of killing And that's the very thing that had driven Elijah into hiding prior to this story. So prior to this event, Elijah had experienced a deep, deep fear of this royal family. And now God's showing up and saying, Elijah... I need you to go back. I need you to appear in front of Ahab just like you did when you announced the forthcoming drought back in chapter 17 and just like you did when you uh, pitched the Mount Carmel contest to him in chapter 18. I need you to go back to Ahab. And Elijah does. Despite those fears he had been battling, he does. He returns. This is original Elijah. This is Fearless Elijah again. This is the Elijah we remember. And the whole cave hiding episode proved to be an aberration. And in the aftermath of that momentary breakdown, Elijah is given the opportunity to show that he, can, he, that he won't be controlled by fear anymore. And he seizes that opportunity. As you and I experience the opportunities that God's going to bring our way, our fears might be involved in one of those opportunities. God might just send us an opportunity to overcome the fears that hold us back from spiritual maturation and from spiritual contribution. And you got to think about passages like Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 5 and 6 where God utters the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid of what man might do to us. Some of the opportunities you're going to receive are opportunities that are going to challenge your fears. Maybe it's the fear. The fear of talking about Christ with someone. Maybe it's the fear of crossing cultural barriers in an effort to serve others. Maybe it's a fear... Driven by your concerns over taking on a specific role in the church. Whether that be serving as a deacon, serving as an elder, serving as a Bible class teacher, serving in some capacity of worship on Sundays. Maybe it's just your fear of having to get up in front of people. The Lord is going to present opportunities for you to face your fears. Just remember that he is with you and will never forsake you. So don't miss that opportunity. In addition to that, Elijah had the opportunity to warn the lost. If you look at verses 19, 19 through 24, you see God's instructions for Elijah. Elijah. You shall say to Ahab, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? This is when Elijah finally goes. Have you found me, O my enemy? And Elijah answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off From Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin, and of Jezebel, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat, and anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of heaven shall eat. What is Elijah doing here? That's not good news, that's not pleasant news. Elijah's sharing the good news. But one thing we need to realize is is that even the good news has a message of judgment about it. Sometimes that's how the good news gets packaged. Sometimes in order for people to comprehend the beauty of God's grace, they have to be confronted with the threat of God's judgment. Elijah's here sharing the message that Ahab needed to hear in order for Ahab to change. Elijah's been given the opportunity to speak a word, but it's not an easy word. He's been given the opportunity to proclaim the truth, and it's not an easy truth. But Elijah doesn't fail at this opportunity. He seizes it. And we need to realize that even in our evangelistic efforts, there are times that the message of judgment has to be a part of that presentation. That's why we're instructed in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2 to preach the word and inform that this task includes not only exhortation, but also correction and rebuke. The task of evangelism is not limited to comfortable messages of God's love, it also necessitate, necessitates the uncomfortable warnings of God's wrath. Because some people can't be shaken awake just by hearing how good God is. Sometimes they need to be reminded they need to, that just how bad hell is. And we must not miss the opportunity to communicate the whole counsel of God. Because in so doing, we might just not only be able to warn the lost, but save them as well. And that leads us into our very last point, which I know you thought we'd never get to. But the best part of this whole story is that it has a surprise twist ending. Based on the track record of Ahab, based on the of Ahab you can read right here in this text, you would naturally assume that he would once again ignore God's warnings and go about his normal wicked evil life. But that's not the case this time. Look at 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 27. When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. Here, Ahab had the opportunity to repent of his sins. Now, I know it doesn't specifically say that. But if you study the whole idea of fasting and putting on sackcloth and all of that, that's how the Israelites demonstrated outwardly their inner penitence. And what's going on here is that Ahab has a change of heart. The drought didn't get him. The the defeat on Carmel didn't get him, but for some reason, this did. For some reason, this connected, and this was the moment, this was the message that made him at least temporarily change. Maybe it's because he heard the proclamations of judgment on his children and on his wife. Maybe it's because he really felt guilt over killing. An innocent man. Maybe it's for some other reason we'll never know. But here's the best part of the whole story. When Ahab, who is this man described as the worst of the worst in verses 25 and 26, when he repented, God rewarded. Look at what God said in verse 29. After witnessing Ahab's Penitent response, God said this to Elijah, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Now don't get me wrong, God's not saying, Oh, Ahab's going to be in heaven necessarily. Ahab, Ahab commits sins in addition to this. This isn't the end of Ahab's story. But in this moment, God is so pleased with Ahab's change that God rewards it. We need to remember that we have an opportunity, just like Ahab, to change, to turn, to repent, to correct ourselves. And God is always pleased with a penitent heart. God is always pleased When someone makes the choice to change their life and point it in the direction of Him. God is always pleased with repentance. And there's one declaration about God that's made in Hebrews chapter 11. As we're instructed and told that we cannot... We cannot be saved apart from faith. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 that we must believe that He is God and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. When we seize the opportunity to repent of our sins, God has the opportunity to reward us with forgiveness. That's the ultimate beauty of this story. This morning, my whole objective has been to point out the opportunities that have presented themselves in 1 Kings chapter 21 to all of these various characters. Because I don't know which character you are right now, but I know that opportunity is knocking. It may be an opportunity for you An opportunity for you to change. It may be an opportunity for you to grow. It may be an opportunity for you to overcome your fears. It may be an opportunity for you to demonstrate your or to learn from your mistakes, but opportunities abound. And right this moment, as we close out this time of study and as we transition into the end of this service, we are given opportunity. Take just a moment and look at yourself. Think on your life. Think on your conduct. Think on your decisions. Think on your direction. Think on your eternity. Are you right with God? Are you ready for His Son to return? Are you ready for your life to come to an end? Because right now we have the opportunity to take any step necessary to ready ourselves for that. Don't miss the opportunity. Won't you come while together we stand and think?
0: He would be moving the sand.